this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll discuss the importance of accurate clinical documentation improvement, or CDI, and why CDI specialists should guard against being conservative. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Also from Vizient is Jim Tamburini, who's joining me to provide his expertise. Jim, glad you can join us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. So tell us, Jim, about your background and what do you do at Vizient? So I've been with Vizient for five years now. I'm actually a coder by background. Got my start in HIM operations management in 2002. Ended up transitioning to inpatient, outpatient coding in 2007. And I found CDI Consulting in 2012. And like I said, I've been with Vizient for five years in their CDI solution here. So it's great to have you. You know, Jim, we've had this conversation several times where, frankly, Physicians write notes for other physicians, and as physician leaders, it's our job sometimes to help our colleagues correlate the importance between one and the other. So let's get down to the basic question to help our listeners. What's the relationship between clinical documentation and reimbursement? I mean, how does it really work? So with regards to the DRG or the diagnosis-related group that's assigned, that is driven off of the narrative diagnoses and procedures that are documented by physicians. So those conditions and procedures cannot be coded unless they're documented by a physician. And to your point, Tom, the language of medicine is not intuitive to the language of coding. You and I have spoken about that on many, many occasions at many members. So a lot of our work is really centered around helping the hospital bridge the gap between that clinical language of medicine and the technical language of coding. Now, before we go into coding, let's be very transparent. This is actually important for the purposes of reimbursement, but just as important, Jim, it has everything to do with how your clinical quality is being translated, not only for the institution, but for the individual clinician, right? Without a doubt. All of the indices that track how sick patients appear and clinical outcomes and essentially how well a provider does his or her job, it's all driven by that coded data. And if that physician documentation isn't there to support how sick that patient really is, number one, that the hospital's reimbursement will suffer. But number two, the physician will appear that they're treating healthier patients than they actually are. Yeah, actually, we've seen from our data nationally, since Vizian actually has data over a thousand hospitals and 75% of all the academic medical centers, is that since there's been, and I'm generalizing here, a slip in documentation that occurred during the pandemic, ergo, what we're seeing is that many of our quality metrics have not done well. I would totally agree with that. Physicians were overwhelmed not being a provider myself. The anecdotal feedback I've received is that physicians were really overwhelmed just trying to keep their heads above water. And the documentation piece of that, unfortunately, in those types of situations does suffer. So what's the responsibility of coding? So the coding professional converts the narrative diagnoses and procedures to alphanumeric ICD-10 or CPT diagnosis and procedure codes. So oftentimes we find that there are conditions that are clinically there, but they're just not documented or they're not documented sufficiently to apply an appropriate code. Are most coders clinicians or have a clinical background, Jim? For the most part, coders have undergone some sort of educational program, and that program generally includes anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, pharmacology. So they're versed in the language of medicine, obviously not to the extent of a physician, but they're at least versed insofar as understanding what's documented and understanding how to convert that to a diagnosis or procedure code. Jim, do you see that there is an issue going on right now between documentation, and I preface that many clinicians are just documenting for other clinicians, and the end result of coding, which is then reflecting on what occurs with reimbursement and quality? 
Absolutely. There's certain nomenclature that physicians are taught to say in medical school, and, and you understand this obviously with firsthand experience, certain conditions like renal insufficiency or respiratory distress. Those in the clinical world mean something very, very specific. In the coding world, however, they code to conditions that are not very serious. And as a result, they do not impact the DRG. They don't add those CCs and those MCCs that are going to support the DRG to support the relative weight to support the hospital reimbursement. So what do you think are some of the major reasons behind that? It has to do with how physicians are taught to communicate in the medical record. You said it yourself. The medical record is a tool for physicians to communicate with one another. Originally, it wasn't intended to be used for reimbursement. However, that's the world we live in. So all of that documentation goes into the pot to support that DRG that's assigned, which directly correlates to the reimbursement. And I guess we need to reemphasize that this is important. Again, it's not only reimbursement, which is important. We need our organizations to get reimbursed, particularly with such issues with resources going on at this moment to get reimbursed appropriately. But just as important for us as clinicians, the work, which is quite frankly outstanding that we're doing around the country, is simply not being reflected because the documentation is not being written in a way where the coders can capture that information. Am I seeing this the right way? 100%. You hit the nail absolutely on the head. What we often say, and I often say to physicians, is like, I'm trying to get you the credit for the hard work that you're doing. We know you're treating really sick patients. We know that you've got good patient outcomes, but I just want to make sure that you get the credit for that. And the way to do that is to improve your documentation. Is there any consequences to the patients because of this, Jim? Absolutely. In terms of that record being the overall representation of that patient's clinical severity, the resources used, and how sick the patient was, if those conditions are underdocumented or if they're clinically evident but there's not an associated diagnosis with it, when it comes to ultimately reflecting how sick that patient was on an upcoming visit, that could negatively impact that for sure. I can certainly see that. How about in reference to the relationship between the CDI team and the quality folks? I'll be honest with you, I'm struggling to see a huge collaboration, and that also could be an issue, couldn't it not? Oh, absolutely. 100%. When you start talking about patient safety indicators or PSIs or hospital-acquired conditions or hacks, there's often a lot of communication that really should go on between the CDI team and the quality team to make sure that that documentation is absolutely crystal clear while the patient's in-house so that that record can be coded accurately with the appropriate present on admission indicator after discharge. So I think it's safe to say then this could actually affect data as a whole, and it may not be reflective, specifically at this time and point when we did this recording. Oh, very true. A hospital could reflect poorly on itself if those conditions, those PSIs and those hacks aren't thoroughly investigated and aren't documented sufficiently. So do CDI specialists tend to be more conservative or coders tend to be more conservative? In my experience, Tom, what we have seen quite a bit throughout the country is a conservative coding process and a sort of a more assertive CDI process. The CDI specialist is in that record. They're investigating the clinical indicators in the chart to make sure that all of the conditions that are clinically there are documented in the medical record. Unfortunately, what we see is from a coding perspective, we find that coders are ultimately making clinical decisions on whether a patient should be coded to respiratory failure or sepsis based on a set of clinical indicators. And that's what we call defensive coding. We definitely advise against that. What do you think that's going on? 
100% because of denials. Coding programs have been hit with denials and a denial or a DRG change. I can define that. A DRG change is essentially when a case is billed with a principal diagnosis and either CCs or MCCs, those secondary diagnoses that drive the severity of the DRG. Payers will oftentimes remove one or more of those secondary diagnoses, those CCs and MCCs, citing that the patient clinically didn't have that condition. And that ultimately results in a DRG change, which means the hospital reimbursement is decreased. And you're also putting at risk the reflection of the quality that occurred, correct? 100%. That case will then be billed to a lower relative weight, which ultimately impacts the physician's case mix index and the hospital's case mix index as a whole. We started to talk about why coders can be conservative in their coding, but can you give us an example of why this can actually be a drawback? Absolutely. That conservative coding can leave off critical conditions, secondary diagnoses that support the DRG. And ultimately what that does is it underrepresents how sick that patient really is and the resources used in treating that patient. And then also the reflection on the quality that occurs. Most definitely. Jim, can you give us some examples? Oh, absolutely. The first example would be sepsis. Sepsis is one of those conditions that's very often denied by third-party payers, and it's denied for a particular reason, meaning the patient didn't meet sepsis criteria. So briefly, there are two sepsis criteria out there. There's SIRS and then SOFA. SIRS is the systemic inflammatory response indicators, and then SOFA is sequential organ failure assessment. The CMS utilizes SIRS criteria or sepsis 2 criteria. However, many third-party payers are wanting to see SOFA criteria. So what we see is a patient that meets SIRS criteria is coded with a diagnosis of sepsis. However, the payer then goes back and says, well, this patient may meet SIRS criteria, but they don't meet SOFA criteria. So what we're going to do is we're not going to pay you for sepsis. We're going to pay you for pneumonia or UTI or whatever the causative infection was. And then obviously I didn't treat this patient for pneumonia. I actually treated them for an underlying septicemia. So it didn't reflect on the work I did. And ergo can actually affect my quality scores. That appears that you're treating a much healthier patient than you actually are. That's important. So what can coding professionals do after realizing they've submitted incorrect documentation? I mean, is there a recourse? So there is a recourse. We can do what's called a rebill. Let's take a step back to the coding process itself. The coding guidelines tell us that we're to apply codes based on whether the condition was monitored, evaluated, assessed, or treated, or extended nursing care. In fact, the coding guidelines specifically tell us we do not apply codes based on clinical indicators. So what we have are ultimately coders who are not clinically trained making clinical decisions. Basically, this patient is not septic enough, or this patient's not in respiratory failure enough, or this patient's not in AKI enough, and then leaving those conditions conditions off the record, thus underbilling and underrepresenting how sick that patient is. Jim, thanks for elevating this because this is very important. So how should clinical documentation specialists, physicians, clinicians, and coding teams work together to correct this problem? Our advice is always to, number one, involve your CDI team to make sure that they're clinically validating those conditions in the medical record, clinically validating those cases of sepsis, clinically validating those cases of respiratory failure or AKI, to make sure that they're clinically supported and you're not billing something that clinically isn't there. Number two, we recommend to have a very robust denials process, meaning when that DRG change comes in or the denial comes in, we recommend having that reviewed by the clinical documentation team, reviewed by clinicians, and ultimately, in best case scenario, by the CDI physician advisor who would then author that denial letter or the appeal letter and then send that back to the payer to say, look, our organization, we recognize this criteria as respiratory failure. We respectfully request that you overturn this DRG change. 
Jim, as you very well know, many of our organizations are struggling with staffing. Physicians are feeling overwhelmed. Is there any type of technology that can play a role in these kind of corrections? There are software applications that can help organizations track these denials. But unfortunately, I do think at this point, it's a fairly manual process and it's a lot of Excel spreadsheets and it does require a lot of coordination. And I think that the folks that send these denials out kind of understand that and they know that it's very labor intensive for hospitals to fight these things and to really try to work on getting them clinically overturned. It is a bit of an uphill battle. I do, however, think that fighting each and every one of these and submitting an appeal whenever clinically that's supported does create the paper trail. And it does establish the fact that, hey, we're going to stand our ground on these particular cases. And ultimately, perhaps that can be used to renegotiate payer contracts. Can you give us some examples of how we at Vizian have been helping our organizations with their coding practices and actually address some of these problems? Absolutely. We have a very robust CDI encoding educational program. We also do what we call clinical mentoring with the CDI team. That coding education is online. It's in person. We also set up what's called a DRG reconciliation process. That's a process whereby CDI encoding confer on that DRG assignment prior to that bill being dropped. So if there are any discrepancies, if there are any conditions that are missed, if there are any conditions that need to be queried or clarified with the attending physician, we can go ahead and send those queries out before that case gets billed. One thing that I've taken a lot of joy on is when we're actually on the floors as a team and working with the clinicians real time when they're documenting and helping them come up with that aha moment. It's not that I'm asking them to do more work. Let's be honest, you are. But at the same time, it's not that I'm just putting electrolyte disbalance. It's that even though I already documented the potassium's low, then I'm putting that hypokalemia. And you're doing the same with the CDI team and the coding team. I, I got to tell you, I've gotten a lot of satisfaction in doing that. I appreciate that feedback, Tom. And and I actually feel that same way as well. In the 10 years I've been doing this job, there has been a marked shift in the physician attitude towards this stuff. Originally, it was, you're bothering me, get away from me. You're the chart police. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And now we're seeing physicians have really come on board and they are invested in making sure that they get the credit for the hard work that they're doing. And we're 100% happy to oblige them in that endeavor. So what can you tell organizations to do as a start to actually start correcting some of these problems with coding? I mean, where does one even start? Because it's kind of like boiling the ocean, if you ask me. It absolutely is. Our recommendation is to, number one, get with your medical executive committee, your chief medical officer, and come up with some organizational definitions for some of those conditions that are most often denied. Sepsis, respiratory failure, AKI. Let's figure out what we at ABC Hospital are going to call those things. Number two, involve your CDI team in clinically validating those conditions when they're there. Do a robust educational process with your physicians. Probably start with your hospitalist group and your APP, since let's be real, they're doing the brunt of the documentation for the hospital. Let's get them on on board with the approved definitions of these conditions. And then number three, have that DRG reconciliation process in place whereby we're conferring on that DRG before we send the bill out the door. Another example would be acute respiratory failure. Oftentimes we see payers deny that respiratory failure as an MCC. What that does is it results in a lower billed DRG, a lower weighted DRG, which cuts down the hospital's reimbursement. So our advice in those particular situations is to say, make sure that you've got a hospital approved definition of what respiratory failure is and stand your ground on those. Fight back on those, do an appeal letter to the payer and make sure that you stand your ground to say, hey, we've identified respiratory failure as this in our organization and we respectfully request that you appeal this. Jim, thanks for joining us. You've given us lots of information to consider here. 
And to our listeners, you can contact Jim at his email address listed in our research section of the podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast.com. We've posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.